0: Welcome to the Elevate Life podcast channel. A channel focused on helping you establish a biblical philosophy of life that will empower you to reach your full God-given potential. For more information about our church, visit elevate.life. Enjoy this episode. So glad that you're here. I'm Josh. I'm one of the pastors here at Elevate Life. And uh, if you're not standing, I want to invite you to stand. We just like to start this part of the service by saying some things about ourselves that God says about us. So the words will be on the screen. Uh, Put your hand on your heart, and let's say this together. I declare that I am created in the image of God. I am blessed to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and take dominion. I declare that 2022 is my year of promise for me, my family, my finances, and my future. I declare, according to 2 Corinthians 1.20, that all the promises of God in Him are yes, and in Him, amen. Yes, and Amen. Today, I open up my mind to receive the promises of God so I can think like God, be like God, and do life the way God intended for me to live. Now, put your hands up. Come, Holy Spirit, help me elevate my thinking so I can elevate my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Give yourselves a big hand. Give God a big hand. You can be seated. And um, one of the, before we just jump into the message, one of the cool stories that I want to share with you uh, from this past week. Is that uh, Pastor Keith is kind of technically on sabbatical? Uh, just pray for me. I'm really not doing my job very well. One of my jobs that I've given myself is to uh, protect Pastor Keith's rest, and uh, he's just not really resting. So <laughs> you don't know what to do. Can't control the uncontrollable. You know, got a line on any like you know gorilla tranquilizers, or I could sneak up on him just. Dart him, you know, put him to sleep for a little while, not permanently. You know what I'm saying? Transport him to a restful place in the back of the semi truck. Uh, so while he's technically resting, uh, uh, you know, maybe resting in name only, uh, he this week he's he's been in Florida and um, there's four different guys that he ran into, and all four of them he introduced them to Jesus and got them saved and like changed, helped to change their eternity. And um, so he told he told me the story. It's kind of a longer story. I'll let him share it whenever he's back. But uh, we want to I want to say a special welcome to Austin, Brian, Daniel, and Joe. We're glad that you're a part of the family, and I can't wait to meet you guys. And um, so that's the power that we all possess. And you know, a lot of us, you know, if you're a Christian in this room and you serve God and you live your life with maybe some kind of sense of purpose and meaning. It's not that we have perfect lives, but maybe you're a little bit joyful, maybe like life's going good for you on some level, or that at least is your confession. You know, there's so many people that in the world don't really have that kind of context. Like they don't live life with a thought process that it could get better. You know, they look at the state of the world and they think, wow, the world's so horrible, it's probably just going to get worse and then we're all going to die. And uh, if you don't understand that God has a plan, if you don't understand that God has a purpose, if you don't understand that God's got stuff that he's doing in the world and that he wants to do, it's really easy to live a hopeless life. And it's, I think it's easy for us in the place that we live, like in the country that we live in, in the part of this country that we live in, where it's like, oh, everyone kind of knows Jesus, and everyone kind of has this God context, but there's people that you run into every day that need the hope that you have. And it's not that maybe you're the most hopeful person in the world, but you know, St. Augustine said, uh, supposedly, he said, preach the gospel at all times and use words if necessary. And that's a noble thought, but sometimes God puts us in a situation or he puts us in a relationship with somebody to introduce them to Jesus in a tangible way. And uh, I would tell you because of Pastor Keith being in, this, in these four guys' lives this week, uh, not only is their eternity changed forever, but their right now is changed forever because they see things a little bit differently now than they saw them before. And it doesn't take a pastor to do that. It doesn't take a special person to do that. It just takes someone with a level of belief that maybe God has put you in the situation he's put you in to really be the light that he's called you to be. And maybe you're a person that you feel like you have the confidence to lead someone to Jesus yourself. Like I'm going to lead you in the sinner's prayer, brother, and I'm going to tell you all the different things. Let's go down the Romans road. Maybe you're that person who's really confident to do that. And maybe that's not something you can do. Here's one really easy, simple thing you can do. You can invite someone to church to come sit with you because ain't nobody got real friends. And there's not a lot of people that really care enough about people to invite them into their world. And um, so many people would come to an environment like this if someone asked them to come with them, especially if you're a person that's like, man, like there's time for me all the time. I don't, I don't do it a lot. I'm an introvert, right? I'm not, I'm no new friends. I'm not trying to hang out. Everybody knows that. I was talking to a guy in the gym the other day and uh, he's a friend of Clay's. And so he lives in Clay's neighborhood. So he's talking about how, you know, everyone in the neighborhood drives around and I started to go on this diatribe about how, you know, I'm not that way, I'm an introvert. He's like, we know, we've heard, <laughs> we've heard you share that. Like, you're right, everyone knows who I am and how I would roll. But one of the things that, um, whenever I meet someone who I think is just like really cool and they're really amazing or I'm like really making a connect with someone, whether they're a server at a restaurant or someone else that's like at the grocery store or something like that, I invite them out. And it's as simple as inviting someone out, not like, hey, do you know Jesus Christ? Hey, have you heard the good news? What's the good news? He is risen. Like, <laughs> it's a little bit bizarre. You don't have to be a bizarre person. Um, one, of my, one of my friends, like every time I'm with him around people, he seems to be inviting people to Mighty Men, which is our men's, our men's uh, ministry that meets on Saturday mornings at 7 a.m. here at the church. And... Uh, he doesn't make it weird and awkward. He's like, hey, so people will come up to us because there's like a group of guys that go work out and we basically dominate Lifetime here in Frisco now. It's our gym, it's Elevate Lifetime. And um, so, so every guy we meet is like, oh, you guys like, seem like you're having fun at the gym because everyone else at the gym is like a little bit angry and upset, like unapproachable. And, uh, and so my, my, my friend Zach, he's like, He's like, yeah, like you should come hang out with us. You should come roll with us on my, at Mighty Men on Saturdays. And there's been so many people that that one guy has changed their life because they just, they just showed up because they wanted to hang with Zach. And so that's how you could be. And that's the power that God gives you. And that's not what my message is about today, but I, I just want to remind you that this thing is amazing and this thing is miraculous. And I don't just mean this thing in terms of the church, this thing with God. The fact that you believe that God has a plan for your life the fact that in some way you're walking in that, the fact that you have any hope at all. There's so many people today in the world that they feel like the world is literally coming to an end and it's all going to hell. And that's not gonna happen because there's us. We are the hope of the world. And this is amazing what we get to do on Sunday, but you're not the hope of the world on Sunday morning. You're the hope of the world from Monday to Saturday. You're the hope of the world to your to your coworkers, you're the hope of the world to your family, you're the hope of the world to the friends that to the friends that you meet, you're the hope of the world to really difficult people <laughs> that you have the privilege of talking to and expressing grace towards them. So, I just want to remind you of that. As we start this series that we're going to talk a lot about the way God sees us, the way God sees the world, but as we do that, let's bring as many people possible into this thing as we can cuz this is the thing that changes things. So uh, in this series, we're going to spend the next five weeks talking about biblical worldview, and biblical worldview sounds like this really academic term. It sounds like we're going to have a philosophy class today. That's not my goal. Uh, We're going to talk about worldview a lot, but today I just want to I just want to set up uh, our conversation about what is a worldview, because all of us have a worldview. All of us have a way of seeing the world. We all have a way of approaching the world. And it's easy for us to hear that term and think, oh, well, you know, like I didn't sign up for a humanities class today. Uh, But it's very tangible and it's very real. Your worldview might be the most important thing that you possess. Your worldview might be more important than your core values. It might be more important than your purpose. It might be more important than any sense of fulfillment or anything that you think is important. Why is that? Because your worldview determines your relationship to all of those things. The worldview that you have determines your relationship to everything else that you have in life. So the first thing I want to talk about is what, what, is, a, what is a worldview? That's the first question I want for us to ask today. If, you know, it's working good. So uh, I'm going to talk about what is a worldview. So obviously we've got some video game stuff happening. You know, I'm, I'm a lifelong video game player, and I'm not like a halfway video game player. I'm a total nerd. And... Uh, When me and Courtney got married, I think that uh, she assumed that I would put childish things away. (laughs) And that like now that I'm an adult, I won't do video games anymore. Like there will never be a time in my life where I'm not playing video games. So I've lived my whole life this way. Some of you, you're not that weird and you're not that much into nerdery. I didn't earn a Letterman jacket in high school. I played Halo. Halo. They didn't give out out patches for that. Like, way to go, man. Your KD ratio is amazing, you're awesome. That's not a thing that we had. So, one of my favorite genres of video games, if you're not familiar with video games, there's all these different genres, just like movies, but better. And uh, there's all these different genres of video games. One of my favorite genres of games to play is what's called an RPG, it's a role-playing game. And uh, role play- in role-playing games, you can kind of do whatever you want. You get a character. You can, they've got all kinds of different attributes. There's like a whole world you can go explore. You can do all these missions. You can do kind of whatever you want to do within this game world. And you can basically, in the context of that game, become Superman. And so there's like some of my favorite games uh, are RPGs. And the way a worldview works is a lot like if you're a video game person and you play RPGs. The way a worldview works is a lot like that where you build attributes and there's certain things you can apply to yourself and there's certain things you can learn that kind of change your relationship to the game and make the game easier. So I wanna show you uh, today just some of my favorite games and I wanna give you, or you just do a test because we'll see uh, how much of a nerd uh, you happen to be. So who can tell me what this game is? Star Wars, no, it's not called Star Wars. Kotor. Someone said Kotor, and that means you've played this game because it's called Knights of the Old Republic. So you never heard of this? You're like, that's weird. Uh, no, it's one of my all-time favorite games in history. And this RPG, this was like set way before Luke Skywalker and all them. I don't have time to get into it. You can still play it. I got this on Xbox when it came out. It's still, you can still get this and play it on a PC if you want to. But in a game, in a game like this, this is the character attribute screen. So you, you can choose if you're on the light side or the dark side through your actions. Uh, there's things like strength and dexterity and constitution, intelligence and wisdom. So that's, that's how it works in Knights of the Old Republic and that's how it works when we build our worldview. So I'll talk a little bit about the attributes of a worldview today, but then I wanna talk about this game. Who can tell me what this game is? Zelda, stop it. You've never seen this. You don't know, everybody says everything Zelda. Everybody thinks the main character in Zelda is named Zelda. If you think that, you're wrong. Zelda's the princess. Link is the name of the main character. Anyway, this is not Zelda. This is a game called Chrono Trigger. Chrono Trigger was for the Super Nintendo to this day by many people like me. It is still considered to be one of the greatest video games of all time. And uh, so this is what the attribute screen looked like in Chrono Trigger. You have power and speed and hit power and defense and all of that. And then who can tell me what this game is? Mass Effect, Courtney said it because she heard me say it last service. Oh, it's on there? Oh. I didn't even notice that. So I thought thought first service that everyone was like, geeked out on this game. (laughs) And then no one said that it was on there. Thank you for your character and your integrity <laughs> to say. No, it's like li- literally written on there. This is a game called Mass Effect. Obviously, that's what it looks like. And uh, this is the character screen for Mass Effect. So there's all these different attributes. So the way, the way that your worldview works is kind of like you have these different attributes of a worldview. And um, to be strong in one doesn't mean you're strong in all of them. So there's so many components to a worldview that we could get into, but I want to, in the context of this series, talk about four of the, what I consider to be key components of a worldview. And so I want to ask some questions, and um, we'll be covering these over the next few weeks. So the first question is, what is the nature and the source of knowledge? Philosophers and uh, scientists and psychologists call this epistemology, that all of us have an epistemology. All of us have, whether you realize it or not, all of us have... uh, A way that we define what the nature and source of knowledge is. And then what's the nature of our reality, the world that we live in? That's called metaphysics. So all of us have a scale of like metaphysics, and our attribute scale is RPG characters. And then what's the nature of good and evil? It's called axiology. And finally, what's the nature of humanity? That's what we'll be getting into uh, this week. And I want to give you a chance to not only develop, uh, not only define what yours are, but to develop those things. And so what we've done is we've put together a 13-question uh, kind of survey that will help you and I identify what our worldview is and how we define it and whether or not it lines up with the Bible. And so we have a QR code you can scan. I want to invite you to scan this. We're going to be sending this out as well. You can actually fill this out now. Some of you, you're not going to pay attention to anything I say today anyway. You've on your phone the whole time, scrolling through Instagram. I heard some of what he said, and it sounded all right. So if you're gonna be on your phone today, just do this before you move on to uh, whatever game you're gonna play. So there's 13 questions, it's not gonna take you that long to fill this out, and each section, there's four different sections in there, and each section is based on these attributes of a a worldview. Now you're not gonna know what the biblical answer is, I'm gonna talk about it next week. So next week we're gonna be talking about epistemology, the nature and the sources of knowledge. And what I'm gonna do, As I'm gonna show you our church's answers to these questions, and you're gonna be able to see in real time whether or not we possess a biblical worldview. So we'll talk about God's perspective next week on the nature and the source of knowledge, but what I wanna see, and I want you to see too, is how you define that. Because all of us have, like you have an epistemology, you might not use that word, you might not spend a lot of your time thinking about what the nature and the sources of knowledge are, but you have one just like you have a worldview. And we might not intentionally consider our worldview, but the whole point of what we're talking about over the next few weeks is that we should intentionally consider that because our worldview pretty much determines our approach to everything else around us. Some people define a worldview as a perspective on life, and our worldview includes perspective, but it includes a lot of other stuff too. And so uh, that's kind of like a summary of what how we see worldview, and the way that we see it. And so I want to help you discover that. Our goal as a church is to help you define what your worldview is. Most people go through life, and they never really think about the way that they see the world, and so they just live whatever life that they live by default. And we don't want to be people that live life by default. We want to be people that live life by design. And to live life by design, we have to make sure that our worldview is intentional. So the next question is, why is the worldview so important? Maybe you're sitting here and you're saying, Josh, I've never really thought about a worldview before. I don't really think it's important. I just really want to be happy. (laughs) Like, I just wanted to come to church today, get encouraged. I didn't plan on coming to philosophy class. I get that. Let me tell you a story about why a worldview is important. So let's transport ourselves to Greeley, Colorado, circa 1950. A little-known Egyptian writer by the name of Saeed Kuteb, uh, is attending a small college there. At this time, r- today at Greeley, Colorado, is around 100,000 people. This time in history, about 20,000 people live there. And uh, during his few years in the United States, so Sayed so Kuteb came to America to get a teaching degree, And uh, at this time in history, in Greeley, Colorado, there was no bar in town. The whole town was basically a temperate area. There was a lot of churches. There was a lot of church people. It would represent kind of some of what we would consider to be the best about the Midwestern or the Western parts of the United States. And uh, Saeed Kuteb did not see any of this. What Saeed Kuteb saw when he came to Greeley, Colorado, was... uh, he saw materialism. He was appalled at, at the materialism of Americans, their enthusiasm for sports, their primitive taste in art, their freedom of dress, and, even, and the mixing of the genders that took place even in churches. And he was, he was disgusted by even our poor haircuts. <laughs> True story. So during his few years in the United States, he visited pretty much every major city that there was to visit, and he came to conclude, and this is a direct quote from Said Kuteb. he said, Americans have contempt for what people in the old world consider sacred. This statement really became the lens through which he would view nearly every American encounter that he had. In his mind, America was a place that was the height of immorality. He saw Western culture as attractive and seductive, but it was too attractive and seductive. America was like a land of pleasure without limit. The West, the Western world, blinded people to what mattered most, and what mattered most to Sayyid Qutb was faith. Faith in religion, faith in art, and faith in spiritual values. And so Sayyid Qutb believed, he was a a devout Muslim, Sayyid Qutb believed that the entire Western world had become what Muslims call Jahiliyyah, and jahiliya is an Arabic word that means ignorant or barbaric. See, when, when, uh, when you might not know this about religion or about world history or about Islam, that one of the ways that practicing Muslims see the world is through before Muhammad and after Muhammad, kind of similar to Christians see before Jesus, after Jesus. So anything um, for Muslims that was before Muhammad is called jahiliya. it means it was barbaric, that the world was a horrible place, until the prophet Muhammad showed up. And Sayyid Khuteb looked at the Western world, and he, he, he began to believe that the only thing that could change the barbaric state of affairs in our world is the strict and unchanging law of the prophet Muhammad. That we are all uncivilized, and the only way for us to become civilized is to enforce Sharia law. Now, you might have heard this recently, or over the past, really since 9-11, uh, the, the Muslim faith has kind of entered the context of the United States and there's a lot of misunderstandings that we have, but a lot of the, the things that we think about, the worst parts of what a Muslim is, is because of this person, Saeed Kutab, because Saeed Kuteb introduced the modern concept of jihad. So Saeed Kutab began to advocate, he, he called after he got home from uh, America and got back to Egypt he called all true Muslims to jihad against America, the West, the modern world, and any jahiliya that they encountered. What he said is that if you see anything that is against what Prophet Muhammad would say, you shouldn't, you shouldn't fight against that. You should destroy that thing. Sayyid Kutab believed that this was the responsibility of any practicing Muslim. And any Muslim who rejected his ideas was another non-believer worthy of destruction. Now, to this day, this is still a fringe element of Islam, but we know that it's become a really powerful element of, 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 the, the, of the Middle East that's now touched every part of the world. So Syed Kuteb, in 1951, he returned to Egypt. By 1954, he was put in jail for attempting to assassinate the president of Egypt. In 1964, 10 years after his first Uh, imprisonment. He was released, only to be jailed again eight months later. And he was finally given the death sentence for his part in a second attempt to assassinate the president and other Egyptian officials. In 1966, Saeed Khutab was executed by hanging. Despite imprisonment, he authored 54 books and close to 600 essays and articles. 30 of his books were actually confiscated and destroyed by the Egyptian government for their hateful content. He was a massive anti-Semite, among other things. To this day, by many Muslim thinkers, he's considered one of the most influential Muslim philosophers of the modern age. And for many Muslims, he is, a, he is designated as a martyr. His work has been translated into many languages, and the current supreme, supreme leader of Iran, Ali Kahimani, has tra- himself, the leader, has translated Kuteb's writing to Persian so that every Iranian can read it. In 1979, during the uh, Iranian revolution, you might not know a lot about this with world history, but there was a time where Iran was a little bit more of a free country. And then uh, in 1979, they had the Iranian revolution where they installed this current supreme leader of Iran and enforced Sharia law through the whole country. In 1979, one of the justifications for that was the writing of Saeed Kuteb. Recently, uh, Amon al-Zawahiri, who you might have heard about and seen on the news, uh, America killed this guy on July 31st of this year. Um, when he was 15 years old, and he was 15 years old in 1966 when Saeed Kuteb was executed. And when he was 15, he established his personal mission statement. And in his words, his first al-Zawahiri's mission statement, in his own words, was to put Saeed Kuteb's beliefs into action. At the same age of 15, he founded his first underground cell with the goal to overthrow the government of Egypt. He would help to found the Egyptian Islamic Jihad and further go on to found Al-Qaeda with Osama bin Laden. So he was killed by a drone strike just last week. After Saeed Kuteb's execution his brother Muhammad went into exile in Saudi Arabia, and he was a teacher, and he taught at the King Abdul Aziz University. One of his, one of his uh, best students and good friends was the heir to one of the largest fortunes in Saudi Arabia, and his name was Osama bin Laden. Al Qaeda, which is an organization that we've heard of, it's an organization that we know about, there's no way to, me- to measure the amount of change that has happened in the world because of really Osama bin Laden and al-Zawahiri and everybody that's been connected with them, militant Islam. There's no way to measure how our world has changed since September 11, 2001. And all of those men were influenced by really one singular man by the name of Saeed Khutab. So because of one person's worldview, the world can be forever changed for good or for bad. And most of us go through life and we don't consider how we think about things. We don't consider our approach to culture, our approach to the world. Can I tell you that there are people that are walking around today thinking that, hey, the world should change. And the way that they think the world should change is in a way that we probably know as people who follow Jesus and people who have an inkling of freedom in our life is a way that we shouldn't change. So maybe you go through life and up until today you have not considered the worldview that you have. That is one of the most dangerous things that you can do because there are people walking around on this earth who are deeply considering their worldview and considering their worldview to such an extent that they're willing to do whatever it takes to make sure that their worldview is advanced. So how does a worldview work? So man, okay, I got it, get it? Like is <laughs> really important. So, <laughs> so how does a worldview work, okay? Um, now I've done this exercise before a lot of times, it's a really great perspective, so if you know, the, if you know the, the answer to this, just don't mess it up for other people, okay? So, what is this? It's a lemon. What color is a lemon? Yellow, yellow. yellow. If I put on blue colored glasses, what color is a lemon? Yellow. Stop it, it's green. <laughs> no, it's not, yes it is, because I'm seeing it as green. I'll get, to, I'll get to the yellow part in a second. Just like I said, don't run it, and then y'all ruined it, it's fine. I just messed up my joke, but it's cool. If I put on red colored lenses, what color is a lemon? Orange, this is advanced color theory now. <laughs> the truth is, what we know is no matter what color lenses that we put on, the lemon is still yellow. But perception a lot of times is greater than reality. So if you'd never seen a lemon before, and let's say your eyes were tinted blue, you would think a lemon was green. That's how a worldview works. The actual color of a lemon is yellow. Yes, we absolutely know that. But if I see the world only through red colored lenses, then I'm always gonna see a lemon as orange no matter how yellow that it is. If I look at the world through blue colored lenses, I'm only gonna see the lemon as green no matter what color that it actually is. So you have a worldview. You have a way of seeing the world. You have a lens in front of your eye that determines the way you see everything. So, so many people go through life, and here's what they do. They say, this is the way that the world works. We all really say that to ourselves. We teach our children this, we live our lives this way, we say, this is the way that the world works. So one of the worldviews that we have in the United States of America, we live in a capitalist country, we live in a first world country, we live in the land of opportunity, right? And so there's a lot of people that live in the United States that say, hey, people are poor because they choose to be poor. Now that may or may not be true, but that's 100% based on a worldview. The thought process that says people are poor because they choose to be poor is a worldview. The thought process that says people are poor because the systems and structures in society work against them, that's a worldview. So where does our worldview come from? The first thing our worldview comes from is it comes from our family. So the family that you were born into, the family that you were raised in, that's the first thing that shapes and determines your worldview. Proverbs chapter 22 says, train up a child in the way that they should go, and when they're old, they will not depart from it. This is kind of like not a good or bad statement. This means that the way that you're taught from the time you're a child will determine really the direction of your life. Most of us in this room probably grew up in a single-parent household. Growing up in a single-parent household for you shaped your approach to the world. A lot of people that I've known that have grown up in single-parent households where, the, where the, uh, a father was not present, don't believe in the power of a good man because they don't think good men exist. That's a worldview that's shaped by the family that you were raised in. A lot of people are raised in an environment where maybe their, their family environment was abusive or mean, and so they don't trust people because of how their dad was with them or how their mom treated them. I have a, I have a friend that... Uh, is a massive perfectionist. This person is amazing. They're an unbelievable person. Like I love them so much. They are so afraid of failure that it's like crippling for them. They're such a perfectionist that they can't, they can't make a mistake and they can't deal with something not working. It's really how they, how they operate. And so this, this person, uh, one time we were doing like an exercise together and uh, we were talking about uh, one, of the, one of the questions that was, was asked in the context of this was, what's a unique or interesting story from your childhood? And whenever you ask that question, people always answer in the negative. What's a unique or interesting story from your childhood? Oh, this horrible thing happened. So it's like really interesting. A lot of people answer that way. So um, this person, their unique or interesting story from their childhood was when they were a little kid, like in elementary school. They were doing homework, like math homework. And they'd written a five on a piece of paper. And their dad walked by and saw the five that was written on the piece of paper. Picked up the piece of paper that was their homework and tore it into pieces because we don't draw fives that way. That was the beginning of this person trying to make sure for the rest of their life that they drew a five the right way. Some of you grew up in households like that. Where it was just never enough. It was never good enough. You were never going to meet the expectation. And so you've lived your whole life with this worldview that's been determined by your family that says you're never gonna be enough. You gotta prove it to people. The second thing our worldview is determined by is our friends, our friendships. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20 says, when you walk with the wise, you become wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. If you hang out with fools, you're a fool. Doesn't matter if you think you're a fool, you're rocking with fools, you're a fool. If you hang out with wise people, you're a wise person. Pastor Keith says it this way. He said it this way recently, and I love it because I want to be that way. He said, If you hang around nine broke people, you're the 10th one. <laughs> if you hang around nine rich people, you're the 10th one. Some of it, like, I want to be rich, I'm going to go find a bunch of rich friends that'll let me hang out with them. I'm not rich yet. I'm going to get there because I ain't hanging out with no broke people. Now, that might not be something you agree with, that's fine. But the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul says this: "Bad company corrupts good character." In that statement, he's actually quoting Menander, who was a Greek playwright who wrote that into a play. The kind of company we keep will, will we keep will determine the kind of person that we are. Very few, very few people really consider their friendships and the kind of people they do life with. A lot of people I know who are very driven, driving to be very successful, they have no real friends they have nobody that they're doing life with. This is especially true for people that are senior pastors of churches. They don't have friends, everybody that's their friend is like someone that they lead on some level and so they live this lonely existence. They live with this worldview that says, nobody will ever understand me and nobody will really know what I go through. That's a worldview. Your friends are gonna determine your worldview. What Pastor Keith has always taught me from the time I was a little kid was that a true friend gets in your way on the way down. A lot of us, the kind of friends that we have are only friends that enable us. There are people that go through life and as soon as their friends start challenging them, they go find new friends. I'm not gonna talk to you because you don't agree with me that my boss is an idiot. It's like, yeah, well, he might be an idiot, but you're 50% of that equation too, bro. That's what a true friend says to you. The Bible says, Proverbs says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. So you should be doing life with people that will wound you in the best way. Say, hey, man, like, I know you think everyone else is dumb, but if you live life and everyone else around you is the idiot, I'm not saying you're that, but not everyone's an idiot. Wherever you go, there you are. So we should should consider deeply the kind of friendships that we have because they'd help determine our worldview. This is why you care so much about the kind of kids your kids hang out with. That person's a bad influence on you. And then for some reason, when we become adults, we stop thinking about people being bad influences on us. We're like, oh, no, I'm an adult now, so now nothing can influence me. No, you're still going to be just as influenced by your friendships. So then our environment. Our environment helps, determines our, helps determine our worldview. The Bible says in the book of Psalms, oh, the joys of those that do not follow the advice of the wicked, nor stand around with sinners, nor join in with mockers, but they delight in the law of the Lord. Meditating on it day and night, they are like trees planted along the riverbank, river bank, bearing fruit in each season, and their leaves never wither, and they prosper in all they do. The Bible says those who are planted in the house of the Lord, like live with a blessing, will be fruitful and multiply so what people do, here's the context of Christianity that we live in. Most Christians are not in an environment of faith. They call themselves Christians. The average Christian goes to church once once every six weeks. And I mean physically goes to church, physically changes their environment. Like you might be watching online, and we love you and you're amazing. If you're watching online within 20 minutes from here, come on, man. I'm not, saying, I'm not saying that to be mean, but hey, I'll drive 30 minutes to go eat a cheeseburger. I did it on Thursday. My recommendation this week is Roosters in Denton. It's amazing. They got a grilled cheese double burger, and, and hey, and on their cheese fries, they do cheese and they do queso. Get out of here. Pro tip, pro tip, you run a restaurant, you want me to come to your restaurant, do cheese fries with cheese and queso. And I'm coming every week. <laughs> Speaking of environments. So the environments that we are in determine our worldview. If you're not in an environment of hope, if a person's not in an environment of faith, if a person's not in an environment and an atmosphere that shifts things for them, their worldview is gonna be a little bit different. How many of you are grateful that we got to be in an, in an atmosphere and an environment of worship this morning? Where, we got stirred, where our faith got stirred up? There's a lot of people in our community that are not in an environment like that ever. I just spent the first part of this message talking about how how important it is to bring somebody to church. And you you can do church online just like you can do friendships online, but there's just something different about actually doing life with people and being in the room with them. So your physical environment helps shape your worldview. And the physical environment you decide to be in is really important. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, now we're talking about education. Your education shapes your worldview. And I'm not talking about education in the context of going and getting, getting a college degree, although it's never a bad idea to get more education. Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 7 says this, The protection of wisdom is like the protection of money, and the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom, wisdom preserves him who has it. Let me tell you a secret about a capitalist society, which happens to be the one that we live in. A free market economy is built to take advantage of ignorant people. So, what a lot of people don't understand is that the way to get ahead in a in a in a world that we live in is to be smart. But but the but what we try to do is make up for people's lack of education. There's a in the in the in the United Kingdom. Uh, there's a huge, I was watching this documentary recently about like retirement savings and stuff like that. And so in the United Kingdom right now there's a big move for government funded pensions for everybody that works in the country. And one of the statements that people make when, in, in that country when they talk about retirement is that people who are everyday workers don't have the capability in their mind to think that they need to save for retirement. So now the government needs to do it for them right? So what we're saying is people are too stupid to plan, so we'll plan for them. If that's, if that's the context that we live in, that we should justify a lack of education because people who aren't educated get taken advantage of, then that, that's a worldview. That's a worldview that we have, where instead of fixing a lack of education, the Bible says, my people perish for lack of knowledge, Where instead of fixing a lack of education, instead of us ourselves getting educated, we just want to justify, like, be okay with being ignorant and create a society that doesn't take advantage of ignorance. Like, God doesn't want to take advantage of your ignorance, but everyone else does. The way to avoid being taken advantage of is to not be ignorant. So our education shapes our worldview. Culture. Culture shapes our worldview. The culture that we were raised in. Like I just talked about a free market economy in the first world. Well, that's because I was raised in a country like this. I wasn't raised in Russia. I wasn't raised in a, in a communist or socialist society. So I have a different perspective based on the culture that I, would ra- I was raised in. But the culture that I was raised in is not the only thing. First John chapter two says, do not love the world nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you don't have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a, crazing, a craving for physical pleasure, a craving excuse me, a craving for everything we see and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. And this, and this world is fading away along with everything that people crave, but anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. Go back to, if you're not necessarily following along in your Bible, 2,000 years ago, John is saying, The world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, pride in our achievements, pride in our possessions. Modern day 2022 version, the world is full of clout chasers. So don't chase clout. But we all got Instagram accounts in this room, probably. We all got social media accounts in this room. We all have a desire to make a certain level of income. We all have a desire to have a certain possession. There's like a car that you want to drive that you feel like, man, if I just drove this car, I would, I would feel successful. That's a worldview that's based on culture. And literally the Bible tells us, hey, don't be that way. Pursue what God says is important, not what culture says is important. And every Sunday, in in almost every church in America, there's at some point a conversation about not pursuing the world, but we show up at work on Monday, and the only thing we think about is how can I become more successful? And that's not what God's concerned with, and that's what we're going to talk about in this series. The next thing that shapes our worldview is our life experiences. Ephesians chapter 5 tells us to watch carefully how we walk, don't walk as people that are unwise, but walk as people that are wise. Just because, you know, I've heard Pastor Keith say this a lot. Just because we have experiences doesn't mean we're experienced. Benjamin Franklin said it this way. He says, experience teaches hard lessons, and those are the only lessons that fools ever learn. So we have a great marriage class on Wednesday nights. And... Um, some of you aren't clapping for that because you prefer to learn lessons through experience in your marriage. So hey, I'm just gonna figure out my marriage by myself, me and, me and my wife, or me and my husband. We're just gonna figure it out. Well, you're gonna learn some hard lessons. Does God want us to be that way? No, but life experience shapes our worldview. And so what we begin to think is the only thing that's gonna teach me anything is life experience. A formerly good friend of mine, like don't do life with anymore because I decided not to go on this journey with them, was they said that, you know, really, like, I'm just the kind of person that I can't really listen to what people tell me. I just need to go experience it for myself. One time I was sitting in a conversation with him with Pastor Keith, and he was like, that's like looking at a bridge. There's a guy standing next to the bridge, bloody. His clothes are all torn. He's holding a sign that says the bridge is out. And you go, I just got to see for myself. (laughs) You're the next guy standing there with the other sign. Yes, it is, I promise. (laughs) (laughs) I experienced it. And the last thing that shapes our worldview is our philosophy of life, the core values that we have, the way we decide to think, be, and do. That's going to be the thing that shapes our worldview. So, why is all of this so important? Why am I taking time to talk about this? Because this is like the overall statement for this series. You can be a Christian and not have a biblical worldview. Jesus is not going to implant a biblical worldview into your mind, that's not going to be how it works. You know what most Christians do in the world that we live? Most Christians, they're just focused on feeling good. They take the way Americans operate, and they think, well, I'll just be an American, but I'll be an American Christian. So it's all about feeling a certain way. There's nothing wrong with feeling good. There's nothing wrong with having great experiences. But what I've seen a lot in the context of church that I've grown up in is that Christians like, feel like it's a bad thing to think and to be rational, but the Bible says God wants us to think differently. Isaiah chapter 55, God tells us his thoughts are not our thoughts and his ways are not our ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, however high heaven is from here, that's how far away you are from God. Now what that means is, is just because you're a Christian and just because you believe in Jesus doesn't mean that you got a biblical worldview on things. Because there's a lot of Christians that believe that it's just all love, it's all good, man. We ain't gotta talk about nothing that's true, we gotta talk about love. So we should talk about how we're affirming of same-sex relationships, because that's really what love is. You know, the Bible says that Jesus came in grace and truth. Now, we gotta tell the truth, but we gotta tell the truth in love, that's what Paul said. So there's a lot of people that wanna go act like their whole life is just holding up a big picket sign Telling everyone they're going to hell. That's not, that's truth. That ain't love. Because if I love you, I'm going to connect with you before I correct you. Right? So if I, care, if I care about you, if I can make you feel cared about, then I can tell you the truth. If I don't have a relationship with my kids and my only relationship with them is spanking them, we're, we're not going to have a good time. But if I can discipline my children because I care about the kind of person that they're becoming, then that's a a different relationship to truth. But then you have the other side of that, which is permissive parenting. My kids can do no wrong. I'm in the grocery store. My kids are yelling. I'm not saying anything. Everyone else, just deal with this. It's fine. Don't tell my kids what to do. It's going to be, they're great. They're wonderful how they are. My kids are perfect. Mm, No, you ain't right. They ain't right either. So we go through life, and we have a worldview that we don't think about. We don't consider what our worldview is. And then we just start to go, well, I think God agrees with me because I feel like this is a good idea. The Bible says God hates divorce. Then a lot of Christians walk around and go, no, I don't think you should get a divorce because of blah, 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 whatever. It's not a biblical worldview on marriage, right? It doesn't mean you don't navigate the issues. It doesn't mean you don't tell the truth. It doesn't mean you don't deal with the, deal with the stuff. But it also doesn't mean you just have permission for God to agree with you all the time. So there's like this move, right, of Christians being like affirming towards things that the Bible clearly does not affirm. And then they don't understand what actual Scripture says. And so they say, well, you know, that stuff's not really anywhere in the Bible. Like God really valuing life, you know, that's a political thing. That's us politicizing Scripture. You know, if Jesus was here, he would probably be super cool with abortion, and probably perform them himself. Oh. <laughs> even pro-choice people wouldn't say that. Because the pro-choice, the pro-choice platform, sure, it's like expedient politically, and it makes sense in a world that we live in where whatever, safe access to abortion and all that different kind of stuff. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about what's the worldview. So if God, if God wants us to have a certain worldview that's based on scripture, that's the way that we should see the world. But oftentimes, we're letting culture shape that. So we're Christians. We're going to heaven. But the way that we see the world in the way God wants us to see the world. It's possible to be a Christian and live in unforgiveness. Live not forgiving people. Live your life like just with with seething anger on the inside of you because you just can't get over what happened. When When the Bible talks about how how there's a person that came to Jesus said, "How many times should I forgive someone?" Seven times, and Jesus says, "No, seventy times seven for the same offense." It's like cool, four hundred ninety. I'm gonna keep track. <laughs> <laughs> not getting it. So the reason why this is so important, and I, I can't, I can't answer this for you today. I'm not telling you in what way bibli- your biblical your worldview is not biblical. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is is there's a lot of justifications that we make, and there's a lot of things of excuses and permission that we give ourselves because we're Christians to think that we automatically see the world the way that God wants us to see the world, and that's not true. I heard heard, uh, Pastor Rick Warren say one time that the Bible is about two things. It's about salvation, which is what God does for us. And it's about stewardship, which is what we can do for God. Your worldview is not God's responsibility. It's your responsibility. The way you see the world, the way you teach your children to see the world, the way you approach things in your life, that's not something that God can do for you. That's something that you have to do for you. And God wants to help you shape that. And God wants to help us develop that. And that's why we're even having this conversation today. But it's really important, the story that we tell ourselves about the world because that's ultimately what a biblical worldview is. A worldview is a story that we tell ourselves about the world, about existence, about society, about people, about circumstances, about situations. So a worldview works a lot like a story. What was the story that Saeed Kuteb told himself? Without Islam, the world is decadent, broken, ignorant and barbaric and the only way to salvation in Saeed Kuteb's worldview is the violent destruction of all things not in Muhammad's name that's the story he told himself what's the story that you tell yourself about the world what's the story you tell yourself about the solutions to the world pro- to the world's problems then what's the story that God tells the Bible is among other things that the Bible is it's not just this but the Bible is a big story It tells us about this God that created us. It tells us about this God that created the universe and how the good creation of God was thrown into disorder by our sin and depravity. The Bible also tells us that God is working to redeem us from our sin and that we're meant to be free from it. There's so many other things I could say about what the Bible says about the story of humanity but we go through life and we think, well, you know, this, we live, again, we live in the culture that shapes our worldview that says, you know, it's really about figuring out and understanding that you're enough. Like, you're enough. In the story of God in your life, you're not enough. Like, you're broken and flawed. The Bible says in, Je- in the book of Jeremiah that nothing is more evil than the human heart. Yeah, it hurts a little bit. <laughs> you know, I don't want to be told that. I didn't come here to tell you that. Here's the great thing. I said this on Wednesday night at Encounter Night, but we're not enough. Here's the great thing. God's more than enough, right? So when you can combine not enough and more than enough, man, you get enough. Just do the math. And so God invites us into, like, having this understanding That it's really important that the story, the the story that we tell ourselves, but you can't live your life and shut your brain off. You can't go through life and assume that you have a good worldview. God doesn't agree with you, God never agrees with you. It's not about God agreeing with you, it's about us getting to the point where we agree with God on things. And God wants to take us on the journey of that. So saying yes to Jesus is vitally important, but so is reading Scripture and understanding what the Bible says about stuff. And reading Scripture doesn't mean you Google Bible verses on anger. That's good to do. I'm not saying don't do it. I'm saying reading Scripture, if I really want to have a biblical worldview, i got to be the one that opens up the Bible and says, God, what do you have to say to me today? Because God wants to help us shape that. Like, this isn't about... This isn't about you and us just, okay, let's have a lot of reason and logic, and let's just figure out what the worldview is that we should have. We have a God that created us that wants to help us shape our thinking, but we've got to be the people that give that over to him and stop making excuses for why it's got to be this way. Like so many of us, really the time that we encounter God or the time that we engage with God is whenever we need stuff to be different in our life. It's like, okay, God, I need your help with this. It's like, you know, magic fairy like the Navi on Zelda. Some of y'all don't know who that is. You got to play the game. They're kind of annoying. You play Ocarina of Time, you'll know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Deep cut. That's a video game reference. But we come to God and we're like, God, I need you to fix this. I need you to help me with this. I need you to do this. Here's all the things that need to happen. And God, God's faithful to us and God's for us. But God's also like, hey, I'd really love for you to put my jersey on and not have you be asking me to put your jersey on. Like, come join my team because there's a way that there's a way that God wants us to roll. And if you're in here and you're struggling with something or like you're in a same sex relationship or you're a pro choice person, it's it's like let God, I'm gonna let God work on that with you. I'm not here to critique, criticize, shame or condemn anybody for whatever they have in their worldview right now but can we just start this series by understanding and having a little bit of humility to say, I really don't know fully what God has for me. Maybe God's thinking is bigger than my thinking, and maybe I shouldn't be so hooked in to this is just the way the world works, and I should let go of that so that God can show me the way that he wants the world to work. Because maybe God's called me to not fit into culture. Maybe he's called me to be an agent of change in the culture that I'm in. But without me, without me buying into that, I'm just going to perpetuate what already exists. And this is what makes no sense to me, is that we hate the state of the world, we don't like how it's going, and then we just keep doing what's happening. Right. It's like, there's so much hate in the world. Man, I hate those people. Yeah, right. It's like, this is awful. Yeah, let's, let's keep making it awful. Yeah, because they're awful. We're not awful. You're the bad guy. And then the people on the other side of the, of the conversation are like, you're the bad guy. Like I've had conversations with people, right, that like, you know, we live in a conservative part of America. So, uh, you know, Democrats are basically all demon possessed. And so, uh, so I was having a conversation with someone recently. I was like, you know, there's probably like Christian Democrats who walk around going, man, these freaking conservative Christians, they're a bunch of devils, man. They're a bunch of demon-possessed people. Because it's like everybody's everybody's enemy. Like, we, we're not each other's enemy. We're all, like, trying to figure it out. We're all, like, a little bit ignorant. And maybe God wants to help us, like, come together and find unity in some way. But it, it comes, the, the unity comes around Jesus and the unity comes around Scripture. The unity doesn't come from any other worldview that exists. And that's why us pursuing a biblical worldview is so important because no matter what, we're just perpetuating more of the same stuff if, we don't get, if we're not careful about that. Like Jesus came and he totally changed the game. You know, in the, in the history of philosophy, one of the things that Jesus did, which is the first thing that we can see in Western history that this ever happened, Jesus talked about loving your enemies. He's the first person in recorded history that ever said that, that had any kind of influence. There probably was some other guy saying it, but he was just a nobody living in a hut somewhere. Jesus came to the earth and he said, hey, here's how I want things to be. And then it radically changed the world forever. Because now 2,000 years later, we're still talking about that. What if God wants to use us the same way? Jesus said, greater works than me will you do. And so what if instead of perpetuating what's already there, perpetuating unforgiveness, perpetuating dysfunction, perpetuating anger, perpetuating drama, what if instead of what's already there, we could just bring a totally new thing that changes everything about it? And I'm not saying that everybody's right. That's not what it is. That's called syncretism. We'll talk about that when we look at truth. It's not about everybody being right. That's not what it's about. What it is about is it's about approaching life and saying, you know, There's a lot that we don't know, but we know the God that knows everything. And maybe God wants to reveal some stuff to you and I personally first before we start taking on the world. we got to put our own house in order. So, yeah, there's probably elements of each one of our worldview that are good, that are working, and there's probably elements that aren't. And maybe God just wants to deal with that for you as an individual. Like, you got this part of your thought process that's like, ah, that ain't working. Let me come in there and help with that. You know, there's so many people that are Christians, they don't have God's perspective on money. They don't have a biblical worldview on finances, and they go through life, and they make a lot of money, and they become successful, and they rarely, if ever, tithe. They rarely, if ever, put God first, because they just kind of don't agree with that. They just don't buy into it. I mean, it's in scripture, but whatever. They find their way around it. It's just like the forgiveness person saying, well, I forgave that person 490 times, so I don't have to do 491. It's like, Okay, like I guess literally, but you're missing the point. That's what people do with money, like, oh man, God's blessed me so much, and they miss the point of, of God blessing them. Second Corinthians eight and nine says, God wants to bless you so that you can always be generous. Not so that you can have more, not so that you can do what Pastor Keith says, that's get all you can, can all you get, and sit on the can. So I want to invite you into something. I don't know where you are with Jesus. I don't know where you are with God. I don't know anything about your God context, whether you're in this room or watching online. But every part of your worldview needs to be submitted to the mind of Christ. Every part of who you are needs to be submitted to Jesus. And I'm not talking about, yeah, I'm talking about eternity right now, but I'm not just talking about eternity. I'm talking about right now. We need to have God's perspective on forgiveness. Not our therapist's perspective therapy is great. Christian therapy is awesome. It ain't about that person's worldview. It's about God's worldview at the end of the day. We need to have God's perspective on every part of our life. It starts with us just like laying down who we are and stop to, for us to stop having so much intellectual pride, like we're a bunch of know-it-alls walking around just because we got Jesus. You know, there's a, there's a friend that I have right now that They're so frustrated at how their parents were with them and how their parents treated them. And now their kids are getting older. And because they've never really allowed Jesus to deal with this part of them, they're doing the same things to their kids that their parents did to them. That's what the world looks like if we don't give it to Jesus because you and I, were messed up, man. But God wants to save us. That's the story of Scripture is that God wants to save us from our depravity. Depravity, the word depravity, it's not a word you and I would use every day, but the word depravity is like utter wickedness, like wicked to the core. You and I don't really want to feel that way, but if we admit that there's parts of us, man, of God, I'm just a broken person, and I need your help, and we submit ourselves to him, then it changes, it changes things for us first, and then we end up being world changers. So I want to invite you, everyone that can hear my voice, whether you're in this room or watching online, just bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Because it's about not giving God a part of your life, not giving God some things, giving God everything. Maybe you've been a Christian for a long time, but you never really let it go as it relates to money. You never really let it go as it relates to your approach to anger and frustration and forgiveness. I don't know what part of your life you haven't given to God. There's always parts for me where I have to come back to and Say, God, I just like, I just give that to you because I need your help. I need to think like you. I don't need to think like Josh. God, I need to have an attitude that you want me to have. I need to do the things that you would want me to do. And the great thing is that God's faithful to do that. The last thing I'll say, and then I'll pray for you, is that for most of us, the challenge is the condemnation thing of feeling like God's just sitting there waiting to hit you over the head so he can send you to hell. Because maybe you've dealt with a lot of hypocritical, judgmental people in your life. Maybe you've dealt with people that haven't been for you who feel like you're just not good enough. You know what God says is like, hey man, like maybe you're not good enough, but I think you are. You're worth it. You're worth Jesus dying on a cross. You're worth God creating you. So many people go through life and they're like, I just have a pointless existence. It's like, no, you don't. God made you, man. Why would God make something that's useless? That's not how it works. Stop saying that to yourself. Have God's perspective on you, not your perspective on you, not your parents' perspective on you, not some mean person's perspective on you. Have God's perspective on you. You create it for a reason and a purpose. you got a great plan for your life, and God's going to come alongside you as soon as you're ready and partner with you to build the kind of life that he wants you to have. But it's up to you to submit yourself to him. and Say, Jesus, I want you to be the Lord of my life. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, just pray this prayer and repeat after me. Say, dear Jesus... Thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying on a cross for my sins. From this day forward, I give you my life. Help me to think like you. Help me to have an attitude like you. Help me to do things like you. In your name I pray, amen. We've all those people that kind of made that decision the first time, a big hand. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe to our channel to be notified of our latest episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. That way, you know when a new episode has been uploaded. Also, if this message has impacted you and you want to contribute to help us reach more people, visit elevate.live forward slash give. We look forward to seeing you here next time.